to be. Okay, the story begins. Welcome. We are on page six. We're continuing the morning blessings. Last week we did blessings one and two. We're now going to do. They're not actually numbered here, so you'll have you have to do the counting yourself. But now we're <laughs> now we're on blessings three and four. We're going to do three and four today. That's the goal today. Conveniently numbered footnotes two and three. Are they? Are they actually? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> oh, there we go. Okay. <laughs> So blessing number three, let's read it in English. We say, blessed are you, Lord, our King, God of the universe. I'm getting it backwards. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who releases the bound. So again, historically, this is not the case anymore, but historically, these blessings were recited um, as they were re relevant throughout the day. So as soon as a person would get up, they'd hear the crow of the rooster. They would say the first blessing. Blessed are you, Lord, etc., who gives the rooster understanding, etc. They would open their eyes. They would say, who opens the eyes of the blind. Now you get up. You're awake. You sit up. And they would say the blessing of who releases the bound. These days, we recite these blessings all together at once. And the tradition is to recite them whether or not they're personally relevant, because they are communally relevant. On a very literal level, what is this blessing thanking God for? What we're going to soon see is it's, it serves as a powerful meditation. But on a very basic level, what is this blessing? Uh, what purpose does it serve? What does it mean when we say God releases the bound? In what sense are we bound? On a, you know, you, you wake, you go to bed at night. Unless you sleepwalk, which I used to do a lot of that, unless you sleepwalk, you're pretty much bound. You're bound to your bed. You're not going anywhere. A person who's sleeping is not ambulatory. Is non, am I getting the word right? Is non-ambulatory. A person who's sleeping is non-ambulatory. They're bound. They're bound to the bed. They're bound to their lack of consciousness because a person's unconscious when they're sleeping, at least to some degree, there was some degree of consciousness. Their limbs are not moving for the most part. Um, we're certainly not consciously moving. We're not making decisions to move, right? Even if you do sleepwalk, you're still bound. You're not deciding to walk. You're kind of being taken over. Although I don't like, Maybe the psychiatrists or psychologists will disagree with me. I don't know. But uh, the experts in sleeping. But from what I understand, when we're sleeping, we have very little control of ourselves. We're bound. As soon as we wake up in the morning, we regain control of ourselves. And we say, thank you, God, who releases the bound. So the first thing I'd like to point out is that that's something to, that we can easily take for granted. Yet we thank God for something so simple. Simply just releasing the bound, just releasing us, just letting us, just giving us physical control, physiological control of ourselves. Something so simple is worth praising God for. 
which rem reminds us to count our, and this is the case, by the way, with all of these blessings, the blessings that we've learned so far, gives the rooster to understand the difference between day and night, who opens our eyes in the morning. These are very simple things that we can easily take for granted. And Judaism demands that we see each one every single morning as a blessing. We appreciate even the most smallest details, the most smallest of gifts from God. Okay, but there's a deeper meaning here. There's a more homiletic meaning. What else can bound, being bound, refer to? To what are we bound? We're maybe bound to earthly thoughts and not divine thoughts. Okay, good, good. We're uh, bound to the Yetzer Hara, the evil inclination. We're, we're bound uh, to our personal Egypt. We're bound to our personal Egypt, good. I like it. We're bound to our animal soul. Um, but but in, in I, I like the terminology you use, David. Very practical. We're bound to our thoughts. We're bound to our emotions. We wake up in the morning. And immediately, by default, this is to no fault of our own. This is the way God hardwired this. And we know this from the Tanya. As soon as we wake up, by default, we are living in animal soul mode, not divine soul mode, which means the moment we wake up, our focus is our emotions, is our reactive emotions, which is why it doesn't take much effort to wake up on the wrong side of the bed. <laughs> it's not that big of a deal, right? It's, it's pretty easy. So as soon as we wake up, our default setting until we pray, our default setting is being self-focused and being emotionally uh, uh, focused. How does, how is, instead of, um, what, why do I exist? How does my existence make me feel? Instead of internalizing what my day is supposed to be used for, what am I going to accomplish today to bring goodness to the world, to uh, utilize and internalize the reason for which God created me? These are all beautiful things, but the default setting is, where's my coffee? <laughs> and how am I going to get to work on time? And how am I going to... Uh, this is just the default setting. Again, it's to nobody's fault of our own. This is, but the default setting is the animal soul, right? So the first thing we do when we wake up is we say, yes, although I'm bound by my animal soul, at least I'm going to say, I'm going to concede that there is a greater depth than what my eyes see. Although I am seeing from the paradigm of the animal soul, although my heart by default Although my mind is justifying my heart rather than guiding it by default, I'm going to dig deeper and say, Modeani, I concede to a greater depth. I'm then going to wash my hands. The hands represents the emotions. Kabbalah refers to the various emotions as the hands. The right is the kindness, the love. The left is the severity, the discipline, the gavura. I'm going to pour water on them. Water represents divine wisdom. I'm going to tame them. We then reflect on how pure our soul was 
and how that remnants of purity still remains to some degree. That was the blessing of Elokai Neshama on the bottom of page five. Then the top of page six, we say, because we have this soul, our heart of hearts can distinguish that there's a good and there's a bad, there's a right and there's a wrong, there's a holy and there's a mundane, there's a day and there's a night. And then we ended off last week saying God opens the eyes of the blind. We can actually experience life this way. And when we do, when we finally get to that point, we finally internalize the meditation of all these blessings, we can genuinely say, God, you've truly released the bound. I'm a free person. Because I'm choosing to live with my divine soul not my animal soul. The difference between, the Talmud says, what's the difference between a righteous person and a wicked person? We quoted this in Tanya as well. The difference between a tzaddik and a rasha. A tzaddik is advised by the divine soul. A rasha is somebody who's divined by, advised by the animal soul. And then you have the guy in the middle, the Benuni. He's advised by both souls, but he only listens to the divine soul. As we go throughout prayer, we hope to meditate and internalize the divine soul. And we'll never be perfect. We're, we may not be at tzaddik. We may not totally internalize it. And that might not be our only guiding impulse. But that is the one we're going to be more likely to listen to because that's the more prominent one. That's the, more one, that's the one we value more. And when we do, we're truly free. We're no longer a slave to our Egypt, a slave to our negative emotions, a slave to our negative or critical thoughts. Um, do the prayers help integrate the body and the soul? And the negative, like the, the what do you call it? The divine soul and the... Um, the animal soul? Animal soul, yeah. Because Excellent question. If you obey any, you should be integrated and you should be using the negative energy positively. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. In other words, if a, if a person finishes prayer and is uncomfortable with their body and only wants the soul, yeah, they've, it's only, kinda... they've only did half the service. <laughs> uh... Because they've, they've at least realized there's a deeper part of themselves, which is beautiful. But the bottom line should be to actually, that the body should be comfortable with the soul. The soul should be comfortable with the body, should be yeah. integrated. So it's not a rejection of the negative, it's an integration of the negative to achieve the positive. 100%. So I, I'll give you an analogy. The, the author of the Tanya gives this analogy in one of his other works. He gives the analogy of the animal souls like a horse. A horse is a riding horse. Let's say a horse that's meant for riding. If you don't train a horse, it's just going to be a wild stallion, right? There, it's hard to, but if you train and, and, and you're going to be fighting it, there's going to be resistance. But if you train the horse, you'll be able to ride it. And when you do, it gets you farther than where you can get on your own. A person has brains, has a mind, has the ability to be mindful, has the ability to be emotionally intelligent, but a horse has the ability, has horsepower, no pun intended. At least a horse has at least one horsepower. 
<laughs> so if we could ride our animal soul, if we could work together with it, that would be the ideal. That would be the ideal. I'll tell you a great story. I think I mentioned this story a couple of weeks ago, but I'm going to say it again because I absolutely love it. So forgive me. And I'm, I'm glad you, we've, we've gotten into this point. Rabbi Shalom Dover, who served as the Lubavitcher Rebbe in the year 1903. I mean, it, it was for a, a, a number of, of years, but it was the year 1903 where he was, he was, he had various health issues and he booked an appointment with Sigmund Freud. He took the trip, he went to Freud and there's, there's a lot of discussion about what went on in that interaction. A lot of theories as to what he was suffering with, why he went to Freud. Freud wanted to diagnose him. So he had to figure out what his schedule was like. Tell me about your day. And as he learned more and more about what his day was like, Freud learned that much of his day was centered around teaching Hasidic teachings, teaching the Hasidic perspective of the Torah, including books like the Tanya and other teachings as well. So Freud was curious. He piqued Freud's curiosity. Freud was Jewish, by the way. He piqued Freud's curiosity. What is this? Uh, what is this book, the Tanya? And what is this Hasidic perspective of the Torah that you refer to? So he answered, he basically had to answer him in a nutshell. You know, again, how long did we spend learning the Tanya? Almost three years. He had one interaction with him and had to share the entire thing in a nutshell. And this is what he said. He said the whole purpose of the Tanya and the Hasidic perspective of the Torah is that the mind should be in sync with the heart. The mind is basically the divine soul. The mind sees what's true. The heart and the animal soul sees what's comfortable. What's true is not always comfortable. What's comfortable is not always true, not always correct. But if I can be passionate about what's true, and if what I am comfortable about is guided by what is true, then I've merged the two souls. Um, I, now my divine soul is riding the animal soul rather than just fighting it. It does have to fight it, but it's a two-step process. You have to fight the animal soul because you have to, you know, the animal's attacking you. You got you to gotta hold it down. Eventually you train it. A tzaddik will be perfect at training it. We're still going to have to keep it under control once in a while. So Freud said, wait a minute, I don't understand. The mind and the heart are two different worlds. The way Freud understood the human structure from the paradigm of psychology. I don't know if psychology sees it this way anymore, but certainly Freud did in his day. He said, wait a minute, the mind and the heart are two different worlds. How could they work in sync? They don't go together. The mind sees what's true. The heart sees what's comfortable. And to Freud, the essence of the person was the heart. If you dig into a person, their ultimate motivation is always self-interest. That's how Freud saw things. So he says, how is it possible to have truth guide that? And how is it possible that that should inspire truth to be more meaningful? 
So the rabbi told him, you're right. They are two different worlds, but you have to bridge them. We have to build a bridge. And that's what Hasidic teaching gets us to do. And if you can't build a bridge, at least have phone communication, have a telephone wire in between the two. I don't know if they had telephone. When was the telephone invented? In the story I read, there was a telephone involved. 1874. Okay, there we go. Wow, I didn't know it was that early. No, I'm guessing. Now I'm going to yeah. Google and see if I'm right. Okay, Alexander Bell, right? Bell Graham or something? Uh, yeah. Yes. It's kind of funny that his name was Bill and the phone has a bell. Uh, yeah, exactly. So so if we, if we pray properly, and by pray, I mean if we go through these meditations properly, two things should happen. I should realize that my soul is the, the real me. I should see that what is true, not just what is comfortable, is what, is what really matters in life. But it shouldn't become at the expense of the animal soul. It should be integrated into the animal soul, which means I should be passionate about it. I should be comfortable with it. Does it make sense? Yes. Um, and, and, and when we have the feeling I should have is a feeling of, liber of liberation when my mind guides the heart rather than just justifies the heart which means when I don't just classify something as the truth because I experienced it and it feels good to me but rather I internalize that there is a right and there's a wrong there's a good and there's a bad. There's a true and there's a false. And I integrate that into myself to be able to become more comfortable with it. That, that Then I've integrated the two souls. So I'll, I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. Think of a mitzvah. And, and you don't need to share it. But I want you to think to yourself, think of a mitzvah that you really enjoy. Everybody has their mitzvah that speaks to them. It could be a mitzvah, it could be a Jewish holiday, a Jewish observance, um, whatever it might be. Think about it. One that speaks particularly to you. This is my thing. I like it. It might be Shabbos candles. It might be tefillin. It might be charity. It might be love your fellow. It might be Shabbos dinner, whatever it might be. Right, you know your you know your thing, and and think about that. On the one hand, it's what God wants; it's the truth. It's what your divine soul wants. On the other hand, you have emotional investment in it. You like it. Both souls are working together in sync. Okay, think about a mitzvah that you really don't want to do. <laughs> yeah, again, you don't need to share it, but think about a mitzvah or some sort of Jewish observance. This is really not my thing. I should be doing it, but I don't want to do it. And maybe you are doing it already, but, you, but it's not something you want to do. You're doing it because you have to, or you're not doing it even though you have to. Okay. In that situation, the animal soul and the divine soul are at odds with one another. You know there's something you should be doing intellectually. Emotionally, you don't want to do it. In that situation... The animal soul and divine soul are fighting each other. So at some point, you're going to force yourself to do it. 
But if we totally, eventually, I should get to a point where on some level, maybe it won't be, I won't be perfect because I'm not a tzaddik, but I should get to a point that at some point where it's not just that I have to do this, I, I get to do this. This is who I am. This is me. There's a Jewish singer. His name is Uncle Moishi. Have you guys heard of him? He is a Jewish kid singer. He has a guitar and he's Uncle Moishi and the Mitzvah Man and he has all these kid songs, Jewish kid songs. The guy has been playing since like the 70s, maybe even the late 60s. He's been Uncle Moishi since then. When I was a kid, Uncle Moishi was a young guy with a brown beard like me. <laughs> now he's an old guy with a big gray beard, but he has that same smile, the same guitar, and it's Uncle Moishi and the mitz. So I was listening to an interview. Somebody was interviewing him, and they said, Uncle Moishi, how do you do this for so long? I'm thinking if I was in his position, I had to play guitar for kids with a smile on my face. I, I, he's been doing it for 40 years. I, I would give up after day one. They asked him, how do you keep on going? So he said, I'm not, he says, the way I keep on going is because I'm not showing up to work. This is just who I am. I'm just doing my thing. I'm not doing work. I'm not, it's not a profession. He says, I love it. And it's just who I am. Uncle Moishi isn't, it actually literally was not, you can Google him afterwards if you're not familiar with him. He's, it's not even his stage name, by the way. He was, he was nicknamed Uncle Moishi by his friends when he was like a teenager. Um, your your son was listening to him this morning. Oh, there we go. Yeah, yeah there we go. A lot of the Jewish kids songs are, are, are from him. So the idea is, this mitzvah, I really don't want to do it. That, that's normal. That is normal. Your divine soul wants to do it. In other words, you understand you should do it. Your heart's not there yet. At, you force yourself at some point, especially as we learn more, uh, as we learn more about the mitzvah, as we learn more about God, as we integrate what we've learned through the process of prayer and meditation, I get to a point where I, I actually want to do this. And depending on the mitzvah, I might even be passionate about it. My heart might not only agree, my heart might actually say, this is really me. I love it. And when that happens, blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who releases the bound we've experienced true freedom. By the way, there's another time this blessing, just some trivial trivia information. There's another time that this blessing is recited. When, God forbid, somebody is incarcerated and then released, they recite this blessing at the synagogue. And it's like a whole, it's a whole thing, whole ceremony. We are... Has your friend gotten out of jail yet up in Montana or wherever he was? Oh, he's out now. Thank God. He, he is a, maybe I'll have, one day we have to have him speak because he's a powerhouse. He's, a, he's so impressive. He's so impressive. Should Somebody, ask him if he said this prayer when he got out. Does he still live in Montana? What? Does, does he still live in Montana? No, no, he lives in California. 
this in California, a special Jew, really a, a special, you see how the, the neshama, the soul has just, his soul is his guiding light. It's not his animal. He's an amazing person. He might be listening to this one day and he'll know that he's a, <laughs> he's a special guy. He's come a, a, a long way and he really works really hard on himself. It, it works, works on himself to be a good person, a good Jew. And it, it, it's really, really inspiring. As I was preparing for this, I was reminded of a Hanukkah insight that I read not too long ago. In discussing the laws of Hanukkah, we'll soon see how it ties in. In discussing the laws of Hanukkah, the, the Talmud tells us how late you can light the menorah. The Talmud says you light until people are not out anymore. The whole point in, in the Hanukkah candles, originally in Talmudic times, and they still do this in Israel, Hanukkah candles were lit outside your house, facing the public. And the whole reason for the mitzvah is to publicize the miracle. That's why Hanukkah, we make a big deal. You know, on Pesach, we don't drive around with matzah on our roof. But all of a sudden, your crazy Chabad rabbis on Hanukkah drive around with menorahs on the roof on Hanukkah. But, but there's a reason. The whole purpose of the Hanukkah celebration is to publicize the miracle that God did for us. So how late can you light until, if it's all about publicity, up until people are out and about? Now, these days, this might not be the most practically relevant law because people are always out. But in Talmudic times, especially when the world wasn't as inhabited in the same way, you didn't have streets in the same way, you didn't have uh, lights and, and cars and, you know, it's dark, you, you go home. So how late can you light until? It says until people are out, but a specific class of people. There was a nation called the Tarmodians. In Hebrew, it was Tarmidai. Until the Tarmodians are done walking around. Once they're done walking around, it's too late to light. They're like the people that stayed out the latest. They were like this group of woodchoppers, and they were always late. The, 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 um, the verbiage that the Talmud uses, it says, Ad dechalya, until it concludes the legs, which means the walking of the Tarmodians, until the Tarmodians are done walking. So there's a Hasidic insight I read. The word for legs or walking is regel. Regel can also come from the word regilut, which means the um, habitualness, what you are used to. to the, the Hanukkah candles has to go as long as it illuminates that which what you are used to, and Tarmodians in Hebrew, Tarmodot, it means slumber. It can also mean slumber. Sometimes because my soul is slumbering, I'm sleeping, I just do what I'm used to. I don't challenge myself. I don't go any further. And I'm in imprisonment. I'm, I'm imprisoned by my own self. I'm inhibited by myself. And the Hanukkah uh, candles has to conclude that, has to stop that, has to bring, has to, uh, has to liberate us. And that's exactly what we're saying here. Through this process of prayer, we are now free, or at least we aspire toward freedom. Okay. Before we move on to the next blessing, questions, thoughts, comments? Controversy. 
I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> Next blessing. Blessing number four. Blessed, and, and you will soon see the connection between the four blessings. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who straightens the bowed. On a very literal level, you go to sleep, you're curled up in a little ball, and you're out. You get up, you stretch, and you stand up, you're straight. When you were sleeping, you were vertical. Sorry, when you were, some people are vertical. When you were sleeping, you were, you were horizontal. You wake up and now you're vertical. I, I just, again, I find it so fascinating that our sages expected us to thank God for even the most simple of things. Thank you, God, for making me vertical. Being able to be ambulatory, being able to stand up, being able to walk around. It's an amazing thing to be thankful for. It really is. It really is. But there's a deeper meaning here. And you'll see how it all clicks in soon. What's the difference between being vertical and being horizontal? Being uh, asleep and being awake. There's a spiritual significance here. There's a, a deep psychological, uh, soul psychology uh, meaning here. One uh, sixtieth dead. Okay, good. And part of it is you're not fully conscious. A sixtieth of your soul is gone, and we're not fully conscious. We're not making conscious decisions. What's the difference between an animal and a human being? Just at first glance. Not only in the not only in the uh, uh, capabilities, but just oh, animals walks on all four paws, and a right. man stands on two feet. Right. People are vertical. Animals are horizontal. Right. Animals look down. People look forward. A human being is not by default looking down. A human being is going to choose. Am I going to look down or am I going to look up? Am I going to aspire toward greatness, toward something higher, toward what is beyond my uh, immediate sight? Or am I just going to look at the earth and be part of the earth like an animal? Which one am I going to do? An animal has its, because animals are vertical, an animal has its mind, heart, its entire torso in one straight line. So where does truth, and this is an analogy for the animal soul, where does the mind and heart, the lines are blurred between the two? where truth ends and what is just a feeling begins, the lines are blurred because they're vertical. And perhaps what dominates is the heart because they're literally in the same, on the same level. That's physiologically or physically, but that's true spiritually as well because the two worlds are connected. A human being, though, who is vertical, the mind is on top, the heart is on bottom. The mind is supposed to dominate. And again, like Sharon was saying, the mind doesn't just dominate at the expense of the heart, but should work on integrating the heart, integrating how we feel about our relationship with God. Because you can't just force yourself into a relationship because it's the right thing to do. You have to actually emotionally experience it. But the starting point has to be because this is the emet, this is the true. The mind is on top. When we're sleeping, though, 
We're not vertical. We're horizontal. Like you said, John, we're a 60th day. Part of our soul is um, our consciousness, our, our, our sensitivity is, is not there. And we're not making conscious decisions. And our mind and heart are level. Again, the lines are blurred. We wake up in the morning. We stand up. And we say, thank you, God, for straightening the bowed. Before we were bowed, before we were horizontal, thank you for making me vertical. Thank you for giving me the dominance of being able to guide my heart with my mind rather than just confuse my mind with the heart. Thank you, God, for enabling me to look up towards something greater. Or I'll even take it a step further. Thank you, God, for giving me the choice to be able to look up or down. We mentioned uh, in a couple lessons ago, why is a person called Adam? The first person, Adam, in Hebrew, is called Adam. There was two reasons. One is because he came from the Adama, came from the earth. He was formed from the earth. And God blew a soul into him. Another reason is because the word Adam, Adama, Adame, not Adama, Adame, means similar to. A person is similar to God, created in the image of God. And we decide, are we earth or are we a part of God? The answer is yes, but which one are we going to internalize? And given the fact that we don't naturally look down, we look forward. We have the ability to look up or we have the ability to look down. The choice is ours. And when we're sleeping, and sleeping not just physically, but spiritually sleeping. When we're less aware, when you sleep, you're not aware, right? When we're less aware of our soul, when we're less aware of God, and we're as if we were sleeping, the lines are blurred. What's true and what just feels good. And sometimes they are synonymous, sometimes they're not. But, but the ability to make that distinction could be confusing. But if we go through this process of prayer, we wake up in the morning and we say, Moda'anya, concede to the truth. We do the hand washing and we internalize the message of the hand washing, which is pouring the wisdom, the water um, on the emotions. We reflect on how pure our soul is. We realize that God gives us the ability to understand that there's a right and there's a wrong. There's a difference between day and night. And we have the ability not only to understand, but to actually believe it, to see it. He opens the eyes of the blind. We have the ability to experience liberation because of that. Because I could live like I really should. I don't have to live as a slave. I then realize, God, you've made me straight. You've made me vertical, not horizontal. And I have this now new ability to look up, to look down. The choice is mine. How am I going to live my day? What's my day going to be about? What's my life going to be like? That's my story, and I'm sticking to it.